You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Uh, let me uh, just have a look at these verses from Scripture, if we can have, a look, have them up on the screen. Now, you've got to help me here, boys. You're going to read with me at the same time. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two. The child grew and was weaned. And on that day, Isaac was weaned. Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman's son who will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Here we go. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I'll make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Well read. Uh, when I went to school, which was just after the ark landed, uh, we, I don't know whether you had to do this, but uh, we had to dissect rats in a plastic bag which was filled with formalin and which stank to high heaven. But I also remember that uh, once in biology they said, look, we want you to bring along a sheep's heart and dissect that. My problem is every time I think of dissecting a sheep's heart, I think of a little fluffy white lamb skipping around in the springtime sunshine, sniffing at flowers and chasing butterflies, and here I am cutting into what is a lamb's heart. Um, I, I, I think of that image, and I think this might sound uh, far right to that, but I think of what would we find if we incised the heart of God? What would it be that we would see um, there? Now, we could, we could go for hours and hours and hours talking about this, but I just want to take one aspect of the heart of God and I think you might find it an encouragement to you. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I was all ready to preach a completely different sermon than what I'm speaking on this morning and then on Thursday really had a sense that God wanted me to talk on this. So I think this is here for this message is here for at least one person today. We're going to have a look at the heart of God and and how it is that he looks at us. 
Um, you may have had a week which has been unremarkable, disappointing, or even one that you don't want to talk about because of the failures that you've had. How does God, heart, how does God view your heart, even this morning as we sit here? Well, I think we're going to see the answer to this in this remarkable story of uh, Ishmael and Hagar. Let me show a picture of the Negev Desert. Here we go. Not the kind of place that you would need a lawnmower, is it? Um, it is barren uh, and it is dry. And this is where Hagar and Ishmael were sent. Uh, what, what chance has a mum with a boy with a handful of food and a goat skin full of water of surviving? And the biblical story indicates the answer is no chance. Um, they have nowhere to go, they have minimal supplies, and the inevitable happens, death comes and knocks on the door of their hearts. And I wonder if, um, thanks, just put down there, Tara. I wonder if you can uh, see Hagar with tears streaming down her uh, dusty cheeks as she lays her boy down, um, her son, her only son, under a crude, rough desert shrub to die. And, and she, as we've read, can't even bear to watch her son die. And, and the heat shimmers over the whole situation. You know, like when you're driving down an asphalt road and in the midst of summer in a heat wave and you can see that shimmer on the asphalt. There is a shimmer in this Negev desert where these two are all by themselves. And the boy starts to whimper and cry and she says, oh, I can't look, I can't look. She can't see his only son die and she goes over a hill and there she sobs while her boy dies. And then in the midst of this remarkable story, we have these five words in verse 17. God heard the boy crying. Now, what's so remarkable about that? Come with me uh, in your imagination. And we're up there in heaven and there's a cacophony of prayers going up to God the Father. And he says, stop, listen to that. And I think we would say, or if it was Gabriel, we would say, but Lord, Father, there's zillions of prayers coming into your presence. What do you mean stop and hear that prayer? A little bit like, you remember that situation where Jesus is walking amongst the crowd and he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, everybody's touching you, but God in the person of Jesus knew that one person who was touching him. And it's a little bit like that here. God hears the boy crying. I, I love that thought that here a slave woman and a son uh, are not in a church or in a ma magnificent cathedral praying. Not even in an evangelical Baptist church like Eltham. <laughs> but they're out there in the desert by themselves dying. 
And this little boy just whimpers, and God heard him crying. Do you ever think of the Lord as having a tender heart, a heart that would melt in compassion at this nobody little boy crying in the desert? You remember the tomb of Lazarus? Here's Mary and Martha and they're, they're weeping and the crowd around them and they're wailing because Lazarus has died. And even though Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, comes the two shortest words from the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Because the heart of God is tender. Have a look at this verse. I, I love this verse. You'll be familiar with it from Psalm 8, verses 3 to 4. Read it with me. Here we go. One, two. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which your heart set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Uh, when you do a left-hand turn out of our drive in Tortoise Drive, North Ringwood, there's quite a steep hill. And I don't know, we've been living there for over 35 years and I've driven up that hill many, many times. But there are just a few occasions which stand out and which I love. And uh, it hasn't happened for quite a while, but I always remember it. And I'm in awe when it happens. Do you know when you get a full moon? And I don't mean like the little full moon that we've had uh, yesterday, but where it is so large and so white, you can see the craters on it, you know those moments. And I don't know why it is that our street happens to be like this, but it seems as though when I turn out of our drive and I drive up that drive, and there is this magnificent full moon with all of its craters. Looks as though it's just sitting on the drive saying, hey, come up here, Rob. <laughs> and I look and I think, unbelievable. It is awesome what God has made. And then there are times, you've had times like this, um, particularly in summer. Uh, and it's a warm night. And the sky is... It's a desert of blackness with just sprinkles of stars thrown across them, which seem to blink back at you a little bit like your microwave when the power's gone on and off. And they blink back, and even though the lights of the city are there, they seem so bright on this particular night. And this verse is saying, it's just the fingers of God that does this. Isn't that amazing? And the psalmist, when he writes this, he looks at this and he says, this is awesome. How great is our God that God made all of this? And he looks down and he sees me sitting in a chair amongst zillions of houses on this planet at 57 Tortoise Drive. And he hears my prayer. Why? Why does he hear yours? when you're sitting in the traffic lights in your car and your heart is aching over whatever it is, you see you. Why? Because this verse says your Bible tells you 
that you that he cares for us. If he made the moon, made the stars and the whole of the universe, and yet despite all of that, his heart is tender because he cares for you. Are you convinced of what I'm saying this morning, that the heart of God is tender? It's tender towards this little boy that was crying. Tender towards Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. Tender to all of us as viewed through creation. But, oh, best of all, his heart is tender towards you because he sent his son, his only son, to die for you and for me, for our sins. There is no greater evidence of the tenderness of the heart of God in his son being butchered on a cross, carrying your sin and my sin, despite what we've done this week or ever done. His heart is tender and he sent him so that we could see his heart revealed to us. The heart of God's tender. Now, when I think of tender... I went up to our IGA this morning and uh, oh, I hope I can open this up. Yep, I can. Oh. Here it is. Don't shake hands with me after the service. No. <sighs> now, <clears throat> my wife tells me that rump steak isn't overly tender. I don't know. I know nothing about steak. Um, I can press it in that and say, oh, it feels pretty good. Oh, this is foul. <laughs> it feels pretty good. But, do you know, Pam says to me, she says to me, Rob, don't get a steak sandwich. You know every time you get a steak sandwich that the steak in there is second or third or fourth or fifth grade and it's going to taste as though it's got, you know, concrete in it. And every now and then I d defy my wife's wisdom and I order a steak sandwich just about break my false teeth in three places. And I think, yeah, this, but isn't it nice? This is foul holding this. Isn't this nice? When you get a piece of steak and um, it's not tender. It's, uh, sorry, it's not tough. It's tender. And it is so tender. And this doesn't happen often, does it? It is so tender that it melts in your mouth. Oh, it sounds a bit crass comparing this to the tender heart of God, but my point is this, that the difference between a tough steak and a tender steak is kilometres apart, if you've tasted either. Now, my question to you this morning is, have you tasted the tender heart of God in your experience? Because he wants you to taste the tenderness of his heart. Have you um, ever leant on someone's chest and and heard their heart beating? Every now and then on our long L-shaped couch, I'll lean up against Pam as we're watching something significant like Days of Our Lives or Fix a Rupper on TV. <laughs> and um, no, I'll be right, thanks. And um, I, when, when that happens, um, sometimes I lay my head on Pam's chest and I can hear a heart beating. You've done this, haven't you? Where you've felt the heart of that person beating. 
Isn't it nice to know that the heartbeat of that person loves you? And isn't it just the most delightful picture in the Gospel of John where it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom or on his heart one of his disciples, and then it says, Whom Jesus loved. You can lean on the heart of Jesus and know that regardless of your performance, his heart is tender towards you. What I like about this story is, um, is the way in which it expresses in a particular way that God's heart is tender. His heart is tender because he hears the cry of the forgotten. Isn't it true that who would have cared about Hagar and Ishmael? Who cared? She was a nobody's slave out in the desert with her nobody's son. And apart from Abraham who was concerned but had to trust God that God would provide for her, nobody cared. And when she was gone, she was out of the minds of everyone. <clears throat> And in terms of all the population of the planet of the earth, nobody even knew her, let alone forgot her. And yet, you, you got to see the, the, the way in which as she sobs on the other side of the sand dune, that God heard her sobbing as much as he heard the cry of the boy. This forgotten slave woman is heard by God because his heart is tender. It's, isn't it crushing? It's a little bit like a, a, a sunrise. When you realise in a certain situation that you're forgotten. You, when that happens, you have a creeping sense of insignificance as you realise you've been forgotten and, and, as it were, banished to the land of no memories. Do you know 30% of suicides are committed by people 65 years of age and older? And one of the reasons that is given, it's called the scrap heap syndrome, where when a person reaches the age of 65 and retires, and I've been through this, where the significance of what they found, they found their significance in life is gone. And it's like they feel like, you know, they make an allotment where there's a scrap heap, weeds growing out of it, no one takes any notice of it. That's how often elderly people feel. And I wonder if I'm speaking to someone who here who fits that category this morning. You feel forgotten because you're retired and you're elderly. Your lack of influence and respect has gone. You feel tolerated and sometimes even inconvenient when you're around family, even with those who are close to you, simply because you're older and you feel forgotten. But it's not only the elderly that can feel forgotten. Anyone here who's been unemployed for a long period of time 
looking for a job. How do you think they feel? What about the parent at home by themselves with the kids for 90% of the time? In a world of loneliness and feeling forgotten. Or the person who sits here this morning and you've been single for longer than you've ever wanted to be and you feel forgotten. Or how about when you have a birthday and an anniversary and people in your family don't even remember and you feel forgotten. And, and I wonder if there's someone who sits here this morning and your home is that broken from what you've come from. Now, the only thing you know about your parents is written on a birth certificate. How do you think they feel? Forgotten. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God has not forgotten you. And just the same God that heard the cry of a forgotten woman and a forgotten child in the desert hears your cry this morning. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And, and I love that verse in, in Isaiah 49, 16. says, See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. If you sit here this morning and you know Jesus, it's as it were figuratively your name, your name, not the name of your husband, your wife, your best friend, but your name is engraved, is tattooed on the hand of God and you are not forgotten. And oh, how I love this verse. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten to God. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. God's heart is tender towards you, even as you sit here this morning and you may, may even feel forgotten. Can I tell you there's also another sense of forgotten? I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and you feel forgotten by God. Or maybe you stare in the mirror and you think, I have made an absolute mess of my life. <laughs> Why would God even remember me? And I'm telling you that the Bible says he has a tender heart towards you. And if you cry out to him, he hears that cry. Because you're never forgotten. And then the second thing I'd like to say about the tender heart of God is that he hears something that's not verbal. He hears the unspoken ache of your heart. Can you see the ache of Hagar when she says, oh, I cannot watch the boy die? And she began to sob. I checked out what it was like to die of dehydration in one of my morbid, melancholic moments. Uh, and as I was reading about dying by heat exhaustion, it's not pretty. Uh, the body cools itself by sweating, or if you're a lady, by perspiration. <clears throat> and if you don't keep drinking, then the perspiration stops. And this is what happens, let me read. The person develops a change in mental status, becomes confused, lethargic, and may have a seizure. The skin stops sweating, and the body temperature may exceed 41 degrees centigrade. 
the blood flows, slows, and heart failure follows. Can you see, see Hagar in your mind's eye carrying her son and she sees him becoming delirious. She sees him having seizures. And she says, I can't look, I can't look. Lays his body under this tree and goes over and just sobs. Oh, the ache. There's no words from Hagar. Isn't that interesting? It's just the ache of a sob. And God hears such moments when we ache. Yeah, and sometimes that can be grief. Feels as though like you've got a hole punched in your heart and the wind of grief just blows through it and it just won't mend. And that ache in people's hearts can have all kinds of origins in terms of the circumstances of that ache. But if you sit here this morning with an ache that just doesn't seem to go away and it's there, and maybe no one knows about it, I'm here to tell you this morning that God's tender heart hears your ache. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I'm speaking to you. And there is an ache there. And you're saying, oh my goodness, it just won't go away. My Bible's telling me that, that God heals the brokenhearted. It requires us to lift that ache, lift that sense of forgottenness to him. And he will heal. Let me show you a picture. I have uh, 10 grandchildren. It's meant to be eruptive applause after that, but never mind. <laughs> uh, and here is one of our dear grandchildren. Um, her name is Jemima. Uh, and that's my dear wife with her. It was taken about a week before she died of meningitis and some other kind of disease that even an autopsy couldn't discover. She was just taken like that from us. But that's not what I want to dwell on because um, she has two brothers. Uh, one's called Jamison, who is older than her, and another called Eli, who is younger. So once Jemima went home to be with Jesus, Eli, who was five at the time, unbeknownst to us, we didn't find this out till a little bit later, was thinking. We didn't know what he was thinking. But as he started to get close to his seventh birthday, because Jemima had died at the age of seven, uh, he said, Mum, I'm going to die when I'm seven. Here's, here's a picture of Eli, just for your own interest. Cute little blonde-headed boy. And this little boy here is saying, I'm going to die just like Jemima no matter what assurance was given. It was an ache. And incredibly, and Jemima, uh, first symptoms of meningitis came on a Tuesday. And the Tuesday before Eli's seventh birthday, he started to develop the same symptoms as Jemima. 
And Nicole, our, our youngest, Adrian, the dad, he was away working. Nicole grabbed Eli, took him down to the doctor in Hillsville, and that doctor gave the same um, opinion that he gave when Jemima was taken down, first of all. Oh, it's just a flu bug. It'll go away. And Nicole wasn't, wasn't convinced. <laughs> and she picks up Eli and she tears from Hillsville all the way down to the Royal Children's Hospital and puts him in there. And he was so weak that she literally piggybacked him into the Royal Children's. And on the way in, Eli said, am I going to die? I'm seven and I'm going to heaven. And obviously, this had weighed on this little kid's heart. Cut a long story short, turned out to be glandular fever, and he's alive today. His dad asked him, <clears throat> not long after this question, he said, Eli, um, how, are you, how are you feeling? And he looked up and a sparkle was in his eye, which Nicole said had gone for the best part of two years after Jemima died. And he looked up his, his dad's his little blue eyes and he looked at his dad's eyes and he says, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. If the God who heard the cry of a boy in the wilderness and hears the ache of a little seven-year-old boy in Hearsville, hears that. He hears your cry this morning. And he says, my eye is on you. And up five sparrows sold for two farthings and they are not forgotten. And as you sit here this morning, it, it, it may well be. You're feeling forgotten. There's an ache there. Well, maybe it's that I'm not worthy and God wouldn't remember me. And in the quietness of this moment, I'd like you to quietly lift up whatever it is that is there and surrender it to God. Will you do that for me? I'm going to ask Rebecca to come up and sing for us. And while she's singing, I'd like you to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed taking in the words of this song and surrendering that which is in your heart. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.